Um, dang, that's pretty good. <laughs> uh, give it up for them one more time. That's just like amazing. <laughs> that, that, that song, it, it's great because it's a classic. It's also great for those of us who, you know, live here in Colorado. It hits different for us, right? And that's because that song is from, uh, from the Wizard of Oz, right? And so there's a lot of us who can like sit here and, and we go, you know what? Like we can say from the bottom of our hearts, like along with Dorothy from Wizard of Oz, like, thank God we're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I can't stop making fun of Kansas. And, and anytime I do, I get emails from people who live there and they watch online and they're like, anytime you make fun of Kansas, we love it. So there's like no consequences. <laughs> I'm just gonna keep doing it. Um, hey, if we don't know each other, my name's Ben. I'm the teaching pastor here. I'm very glad that you're, you're here today, especially for today. Today, we're wrapping up our series that we've been in for a little over a month on faith called Send It. I, I don't know about you, but for me, the series has hit home. I feel like every single week I'm learning something and I feel challenged every single week. Like that might sound weird to you because I'm one of the teachers, but like this is my church too. Like this is where I go to learn and grow. And I learn from Jim and our other teachers. And anytime I write a talk, if, if I got a challenge in it, it's not, it, I always write a challenge that I'm gonna do with you. And so I've just felt really challenged over the course of this series. And we've been learning a lot about faith. Uh, to kind of jog our memories, like, First of all, we've learned in a really general sense that faith is confidence that God is who he says he is and assurance that God's gonna keep every single promise he ever made to us. And we learned that that faith starts with humbling yourself. Like you gotta stop pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. You gotta swallow your pride if you wanna start leaning your life against Jesus. And, and we learned that faith must lead to active obedience. So like if your actions don't follow your words, if they don't line up with what you say your confidence and assurance are placed in, then it might not be real faith to begin with. And then last weekend, we had a guest teacher, McCall, who, by the way, if you were here and you appreciated what he did, could you like honor him one more time for that? I wanna start carrying a towel around like he had. It would give me something to do with my ADD hands. Um, but McCall was, was awesome. He killed it. If you weren't here last weekend, like get online and watch it. But McCall like told us that God wants to hand you victory even in the face of overwhelming odds. But if he's gonna do that, you gotta show up. You just have to show up and that's because faith shows up to the battlefield. So we've been learning all this stuff. We've had all these challenges toward a deeper life of faith. And my guess is that over the course of this series, a lot of us, maybe even most of us, we've been leaning in and we're like, yeah, that's awesome. That kind of faith sounds good. Like I should live my life that way. But out of that group of people, there are still some of us who even though we agree with everything that's been taught, we still haven't done anything about it. We still haven't acted on what we know God is telling us to do. We aren't showing up. Why? Why do we do that? That's the question I want to tackle today to kind of wrap up this series on faith. I want to tackle the question, when it comes to faith, what are we most afraid of? Because we know what we're supposed to do. We, we, like, we already feel convicted about what we're supposed to confess to our friends or to our spouses. And we know the changes that we've got to make. And we know the sacrifices that we've got to make. And what we need to surrender is just like we won't do it. Why? What are we so afraid of? Today, I wanna to tackle the concept of fear and faith because I think our assumption, maybe a lot of us, our assumption is that like if we have enough 
like faith, then we won't have fear anymore, right? Like if I could just believe in, in Jesus a little more, then I won't be scared of anything anymore. That's just not true. That's not how it works. Instead, the truth actually is that fear and faith are inseparable, right? They're, they're stuck together. Like they go hand in hand. And I want to explain that to you today. Right, but the best way to explain that is to tell you two stories. One is a story from the Bible. Another is a story from someone who calls Flatirons home. All right, so I want to jump right in today. Start with our story from the Bible because it's a story of fear and faith walking hand in hand. And, and it's a story that I'm assuming everyone in the room has at least a little familiarity about because it's the story of Noah and the ark and the flood. A lot of us learned this story when we were little kids, which is actually kind of messed up when you think about it, right? It's a popular Sunday school lesson because it's got like cute animals and a boat. And there's, at the end of the story, there's a rainbow. But it's pretty funny to watch like a first grade teacher kind of dance around like the whole destruction of humanity thing that happens. <laughs> Mr. Foot, what happened to all the people who weren't on the ark? It's like, Timmy, just look at the cute zebras and stop asking so many questions. <laughs> that, that actually plays into two disclaimers I've got to make, though, right off the bat before we even jump into this story, right? Because we're all at least a little familiar with the story of Noah's Ark and the flood, what happens when I say that we're going to talk about that is for a lot of us, we've got two arguments that pop into our heads or like two kinds of judgments that pop into our heads, the first one is a question. The question is, if God is good, why would he do that? Like, why would he flood the entire world and kill all those people? Like, that's a great question, right? It's also just one that we're not going to tackle today, <laughs> all right? And <laughs> it's not because I'm afraid of it. It's not because I'm trying to avoid talking about it. It's really only because that question will not factor into the principle of faith that we're going to learn together today. So it would just waste our time. And so if that's you, and that might be like the most pressing question that you have right now. The question is essentially, why would God allow bad things to happen to good people? It's a great question. It might be the question that you need answered because maybe you're suffering right now and you want to know why. If that's you, I'm, I'm sorry that you're suffering right now. I'm just going to ask that you shelve that question, not ignore it. Find the answer to that question. I'm just asking you to shelve it for today. Here at Flatirons, we actually talk about that concept a lot. Like, why do bad things happen to good people? So if that's you, just hang tight. I promise we'll address that question soon, okay? That's the first disclaimer. The second disclaimer is whenever I say we're gonna talk about Noah's Ark, for a lot of us, we go, the question is like, really? We, really, that happened? Like, do, do we really think Noah's Ark is historical or is it just allegorical or a myth? All right, for me personally, I'm not telling you what to believe, all right? But for me personally, I believe that there is a God. I believe he came down to earth and humbled himself and took on the form of human flesh. His name was Jesus. Like, I believe that. I believe that Jesus died to pay for my sins and your sins and to connect us into relationship with him. I believe that three days later he was resurrected. Like, I actually believe all of that stuff. And so it's not a stretch of my imagination to believe that possibly Noah's Ark could also be a historical account. Plus, for me, I'm a book nerd. I'm a history nerd. And I think it's fascinating. Maybe you didn't know this. To me, I think it's fascinating. There are over 200 ancient cultures from literally all over the world who have their own version of a flood origin story. 
To me, it sounds like there are many civilizations from all over the world who are trying to make sense of some sort of large destructive flood. But again, we're just not gonna get into it today. This history versus allegory thing, because again, regardless of what your opinion is and what you think about it, it's not going to play into the principle of faith that we're talking about today. All right, enough disclaiming, let's jump into our story. And here's kind of the background for our story. So the story of Noah takes place like relatively close to the beginning of human history. And according to the Bible, human history got off to like a really rough start. Right, if you read the first few chapters of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible, you learn that the very first human beings rebelled against God. That rebellion lost us perfection, and it lost us harmony with God, and instead it gained us suffering and death and separation from God. And you keep reading in, into like the fourth chapter, and you discover that the very first child born to humanity, like the very first son to be born, became a murderer. He ended up killing his brother. Like according to the Bible, that's how humanity hit the scene. Right? Humans, human beings showed up, and we brought death and suffering and murder and rebellion against God. In the fifth chapter of Genesis, it kind of like speeds through and kind of fast forwards through about 1,600 years of history from the time of Adam and Eve to the time of Noah, and we learn that not much has changed. Right, the story of Noah begins in, in Genesis chapter six. We learn that humanity has become wicked and depraved on a near total scale, and we learn that this grieved God and, quote, filled his heart with pain. And we learn that in the midst of this whole mess of humanity, there is just one dude who's not doing too poorly for himself, and that's our boy, Noah. Right, look at this. Genesis 6 says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And, and this is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. All right, we learn that Noah was righteous which means he did what was right according to God. We also learn that in comparison to everyone else at his time, Noah was essentially blameless. And we also learn that Noah walked with God, which means he had a relationship with God and he put his confidence and his assurance into that relationship. All right, so that's like the setup for our story. And in the midst of that, God hatches a plan. Right? And it's a plan, remember, that fills his heart with pain because he's a good and loving father. He's not a puppet master. But it is a plan that even though it grieves him, he's gonna go through with. And here's the plan. Right? One day, God and Noah are walking and talking, and God said to Noah, he goes, Noah, I'm gonna put an end to all people because the earth is like filled with violence because of them, and I'm surely gonna destroy them and the earth. And so Noah, here's what I need you to do. I need you to make an ark out of cypress wood. He goes, I need you to build a boat. And then over the next few verses, God gives Noah like detailed instructions for exactly how to build this ark, how to build this boat. He says it's gotta be 450 feet long and 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. He gives instructions for how to build the roof and how to build the doors and how to build the decks. Like he gives Noah incredibly detailed instructions for Noah's survival. And this is the first place I wanna take a quick time out in our story because I want to point out that God just did two things with Noah. Right, the first thing God did was God warns Noah of destruction. He goes, Noah, if you do nothing, if you change nothing about your life, then in your future you can count on destruction. 
But then he doesn't stop there. The second thing is God also gives Noah instruction. He goes, I don't want you to destroy your life, and so I'm gonna give you instructions on how to survive. See, when you walk with God, which means when you have a, a relationship with him and you've put your faith in that relationship, you notice that he starts to give you warnings about the kind of stuff that will just train wreck your life. But he doesn't stop there. He also gives you instruction. He goes, I don't want you to train wreck your life. So here's how you could construct your life so that it doesn't end in disaster. Hang on to that idea because we're going to come back to it. All right, so here's our story so far. God has a plan that he's gonna go through with, even though it grieves him and it fills his heart with pain. He's gonna wipe the slate of humanity clean, and he's only gonna spare Noah and Noah's family because Noah was righteous, blameless, and he walked with God. And so God talks to Noah, and he gives him some detailed instructions for how to survive. And then after he does that, God basically pats Noah on the back, and he's like, all right, good pep talk, bud. Like, get to work. You have a really huge boat to build. And you have to imagine how Noah must have felt after getting this breaking news flash from God. It's like, I'm sure he felt some relief at being spared. I'm sure he felt some sorrow at like friends that he was probably gonna lose. I'm sure he felt stressed about the amount of work that it would take and the amount of change that he was going to have to suffer through. I'm sure he felt a lot of things, but I guarantee you at the top of that list of emotions was fear. Why? Well, because God just told him and warned him that the end of the world is around the corner. And Noah was told that his only hope for survival is going to be his own craftsmanship. Noah is scared. He has fear of God's warnings and God's instructions. But then on top of that, Noah would have to face the fear of public rejection. Because if Noah is going to follow God's detailed instructions for survival, that means he's going to have to become the village idiot. He's just going to have to look like a totally crazy person. Because first of all, a construction project of this scope with the tools available to Noah at that time would have taken anywhere between 60 and 100 years to complete. People lived longer back then. And so the point is that this is not just a weekend project. Instead, catch this, Noah is being told to dedicate everything, time, money, resources, energy to God's detailed instructions for a better life. But then on top of that, some scholars think that it hadn't rained yet, meaning like ever in history. And if they're right, here's the situation that Noah could have very definitely found himself in. He, he, one day he's cutting down trees and he's taking these logs, he's turning them into planks and he's setting them aside to dry and cure and his neighbor comes over and his neighbor's like, Noah, what you working on? And, and Noah's like, oh, Steve, Steve, buddy, listen, I'm building an ark Right? Steve's like, Noah, what's an ark? Oh, Steve, an ark is like a massive boat. It's going to help my family survive the flood. Noah, what's a flood? Oh, Steve, dude, it's when it rains too much. At that point, Steve's like, what's rain, Noah? And then now Noah sounds insane. Right? He's like, rain? Steve, rain. Oh, dude, rain. Rain is like when water, like the stuff in the creek, instead of running around on the ground wherever it wants to go, it like falls out of the sky onto your head. It's nuts. He would have sounded crazy. At that point, Steve would be like, Noah, do you need a beer? <laughs> or just like a ride to the hospital? Like, what's wrong with you? He would have looked crazy. The modern day equivalent would be someone building a UFO in their backyard, right? If I had a buddy who's like, bro, I'm building a spaceship, <laughs> you know? I gotta survive the upcoming invasion from an alien race called the Zuckerbergs or whatever. 
<laughs> if my buddy said that, I'd be like, hey, Jesse, like my kids can't have sleepovers at your house anymore. <laughs> you're a crazy person. <laughs> this is the situation that Noah's in, all right? And so here's poor Noah, and Noah is facing two fears, all right? He's facing the fear of God's warnings and the fear of God's instructions, and he's also facing the fear of being the village crazy person. Like, this is Noah's dilemma, and Noah must choose which fear he's gonna respect the most, because that's what fear is. When you think about it, fear is just respect for something's power, right? When you fear something, it's not because you're weak. Instead, you just understand and respect that thing's power, so for example, you, you don't touch the stove when it's on because you're fearful of getting burned. That's not weakness. You just understand and respect the power of heat, right? Or, or like when you're really high up, you get that weird feeling in your stomach and you start to get fear, like if you're hanging Christmas lights on your roof or whatever. And that's not weakness. Instead, you just understand and respect the power of gravity. Fear is respect for something's power. And so Noah must choose which fear he's gonna respect the most. And this guy has got two options, just two. Right, the first option is if Noah mostly respects and fears the power of public opinion, he's not going to build that boat. And he's just got to cross his fingers and hope that God was like maybe lying to him or he was mistaken or God was wrong. But then he also might end up saving a ton of time and energy and money and resources and respect with his neighbors. That's his first option. The second option is if Noah mostly respects the power of God, mostly fears the power of God, then it's time to build a boat. And on the one hand, he'll have to dedicate everything in his life and he'll have to sacrifice his public image to that project. But on the other hand, if God is telling him the truth, then Noah and his family are going to survive the end of the world. In other words, there is a chance that Noah could look like the stupidest person in town for 100 years until it rains. And then once that storm hits, he'll suddenly be the smartest guy in town. In fact, he'll be one of the only guys in town. <laughs> and so Noah's got to choose which of those fears he's going to respect the most. And thankfully, the, the very last verse of chapter 6 tells us that, God, uh, that Noah had more fear of God than he had fear of people. The last verse in chapter 6 says that Noah did everything exactly just as God commanded him. And then most of us are familiar with the rest of this story. In case you're not, here's the summary, right? Noah spends decades building the ark, like decades. He spends decades following God's instructions for survival and a better life. And then when it's completed, God speaks up and he goes, hey, Noah, I want you to put you and your family onto this boat. And so they get on the boat. And then, and then God leads one male and one female from every animal species onto this ark. So it would be a big, crowded, stinky, smelling ark. And they all get on this ark and it starts raining. And everyone in town is like, oh my gosh, Noah was actually right. It starts raining. It starts flooding. It flooded for 150 days. After that 150 days, the waters finally start to recede, and over time, Noah and his family walk out onto dry ground to discover that they are the last living people on planet Earth. 
And when that happens, Noah builds an altar and he starts worshiping God. Like that's the first thing Noah does when his feet hit dry ground. He starts worshiping God and God is pleased with Noah's worship. And so God makes a covenant with Noah and a covenant is like a promise on crack. And so he makes this, (laughs) it is, uh, And so he makes this covenant with Noah, and the covenant is that God will never destroy the earth again. And then he blesses Noah and blesses his family. He goes, man, get out there and be fruitful and multiply in number and go steward the earth. And at the very end of the story, he creates a rainbow to serve as a sign and a reminder, even to us today, a reminder of God's promises and a reminder of God's blessings. The end. Now, What does this ancient story have to do with us living in 2022? Well, in my opinion, a lot. To go back to our our original question, when it comes to faith, what are we most afraid of? Because again, some of us, we've nodded our heads to everything that's been taught in the series, and we've been like, yes, brother, amen, preach, good stuff. But at the same time, we know what God is commanding us to do. We know the secrets that we've got to stop keeping. We know the conversations we've got to have. We know the changes we've got to make, but we haven't acted on any of that yet. And that is because we're scared. We have fear. And just like Noah, we are faced with a dilemma. We must choose which of our fears we're going to respect the most. To kind of take this idea of what I'm talking about and bring it down into real life, let me give an example maybe of what this could look like. So for some of us, for example, we know that we have to have some change in our marriage. We know that. Right? And we know that the sneaking around and the relationship with the new pretty woman at work and the evening texting between the two of you, like we know that we've got to cut that relationship off, but you also know at the same time that it just feels good to be pursued again. And it feels good to pursue. And we haven't felt this giddy in a really long time. And so you start talking to yourself in your head. You go, plus, like, what if I made a mistake and I got married too young and I'm just now finding the woman that I'm actually compatible with? You start talking to yourself in your head going, maybe all my friends are right and I really can't have this, like, amazing woman friend who's not my wife without the thing going too far. And you have all these conversations in your head because you're faced with a dilemma. And the dilemma is you must choose which fear you're going to respect the most. Are you going to have fear or respect for the power of your sexual desires and doing what you want to do and doing it right now? Or are you going to have fear for or respect for the God who says, I could turn your marriage around if you just stop running away from it? Another example, some of us may be swiping credit cards and we just took out another credit card and this one's on 22% interest and we're sinking ourselves into debt. And some of us are doing that out of survival mode because we just, we gotta pay for that last semester of college or, or we don't know where the rent check is gonna come from this month. I'm not talking to that crew. Instead, I'm talking to the others of us who were sinking ourselves into debt for, for less important reasons. So we're sinking ourselves into debt because maybe we work in the kind of business or, or career that it's like, The illusion of success sometimes leads to actual success. You know, it's like you just got to wear the clothes and and drive the car and you got to kind of fake it till you make it if you need to earn the respect in order to succeed. Or maybe for others of us, we're going into debt because we just grew accustomed to a lifestyle that's bigger than our paycheck. And at that point, you have a dilemma. What are you going to fear the most? 
Which fear are you going to respect the most? Are you going to have fear for or respect for the power of success and public image and a life of comfortability and ease? Or are you going to have fear and respect for the God who promised you that you can't worship both him and your bank account? Who are you going to fear? This is where that whole concept of the fear of God comes into play. All right, if you've been in church, you maybe heard that term, the fear of God, or if you grew up in the Bible Belt like I did, you've heard it often and it was scary. All right, but the, that term, the fear of God, doesn't mean that you're terrified of God. God is a good and loving God who wants good for you. Instead, instead that term, the fear of God, means that you respect him. You have this like awe-inspiring respect for his power. So when you fear God, you respect him and you listen when he warns you that you're about to blow your life up and you obey him when he gives you instructions for how to survive. Like you respect and fear him more than you do anything else in the world. Like I said at the beginning of this thing, fear and faith are inseparable. They just go hand in hand because at the end of the day, one of the underlying foundations of faith in Jesus is fear of God, which again just means ultimate first place respect for God's power. And we're told that that's a good thing. We're told that the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life turning a man from the snares of death. So in other words, respect for the power of God only leads you towards life and only protects you from blowing your life up. And I think, and, and this is based on my life experience, like what I've suffered through, and it's also based on like some friends and family I have that, that are blowing their lives up right now. I think that whenever we walk into the snares of death, which means your life got off course and you're starting to blow your life up, I think that 100% of the time it's because we didn't have enough fear or respect for God. We didn't respect him and listen to him when he warned us that this would blow our lives up. And we didn't listen to him and obey him and respect him when he gave us detailed instructions for how to live a better life. Instead, we just thought God was going overboard. Right? Or maybe the teachers at our church are just going overboard, right? Like whenever they talk about, for example, sexual integrity and how it could blow your world up if you're not careful about it. Instead, we just thought to ourselves like, well, you know, that book was written a really long time ago and times have changed, right? And so I think that whole thing just sounds a little too Puritan for me. And what happens is we end up having too little respect for God and too much respect for something else's power. And so we get trapped in the power of seduction or trapped in the power of money or trapped in the power of needing to feel self-reliant and self-made or any other selfish thing. And so we didn't take God's warnings seriously enough and we didn't obey his instructions seriously enough. We didn't respect or fear him enough and now we're paying for it exactly like he warned us that we would. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to learn any more of those lessons the hard way. And so what would it look like to fear God and to respect his power and respect his words? Like, what would it look like to begin constructing our lives based on the detailed instructions he's given us for survival and to do that now, well before the storm hits, well before you ever see a storm cloud? Well, to explain what that could look like in our lives and to see what that could look like, it's time for our second story. All right, and the best way to tell that story is to introduce you to Jake and let Jake tell his own story for himself. 
And so check this out. Qualities a man can have is do what you say you're going to do and finish what you set out to do. And when it comes to bow hunting, if you're not out here practicing every day, if you're not getting reps in, if you're not taking the time to be as precise as you can with those shots to execute everything, when the pressure's on in the moment, you're going to fail. That was money. That's tape. Yep. My name is Jake Hoffman, and it's time that I told my story. My two biggest goals in life are to be a good husband and a good father. And my two biggest fears in life is that I won't be a good husband and I won't be a good father. Pastor Jim, I just wanted to share my own personal aha moment that I had this morning at the 11 a.m. service. We have a church today, so, uh, so you feeling good? Bear with me. <laughs> this is going to be a long one. Because I actually believe this is going to be in the future, a day where you look back and go, I think my life started to change and you're gonna to point to today. Every now and then it feels like the sermon is just directed right at you. Like today, this message is about me. I think God is about to break through in a new way. Okay, and, and they're like, and you're sitting there going, that's probably for other people. And I'm talking about you. My bloodline is a long list of men who have failed in what God has given them charge of in this life. My biological father left while my mom was pregnant with me. I didn't end up meeting him until I was 25, and that was something that I had to actively pursue and go and search for him and find him, and he didn't really want anything to do with me. My stepdad married my mom when I was about two and a half. He was verbally and physically uh, abusive with me, and so I got a lot of mixed messages growing up about what masculinity looked like, about who I was, about who God was, and it sent me on a rough path. When I was pulling myself out of that, that's when I started to try and find my biological dad, just hoping and praying that maybe he would have some better guidance for me. When I found him, I had, I had to pay for my own plane ticket to go see him, and he picked me up from the airport drunk, and then the first thing he did was he took me out to drink more and just proceeded to tell me lies and BS the whole night. Um, I didn't even last 24 hours with him. So I've just been doing life on my own, basically. I just hit this dark hole of depression and I realized that something was missing. And the first weekend that I moved home was actually the start of the Man Down, Man Up series. God fixes broken people and at some level we're all broken. If we're, even if we're saved and going to heaven, there's part of us that every day still resists God and his perfect truth. The reason they were removed from my life was not so that I would suffer without the guidance of a father figure, but so that my cup might be completely emptied of any influence that is not God and washed clean so that it can be filled with nothing but God's grace, love, and purpose. I kind of had this aha moment, which was, there's a reason why all the men in my family are, are gone. You know, men who have failed in what they're given charge of in this life, sometimes they are stripped away. Sometimes that kingdom is given to somebody else. My biological dad actually passed away last, last year. Oh, I'm a little ashamed to say this, but um, my first, the first thought that entered my head when I found out that he had passed away was, uh, that's one less thing that I have to worry about. But after I took some time to process it, I was, I was sad. Because I guess there was a little piece of me that thought like, you know, 
Maybe I could step up and be an example for him. I never got a chance to do that. So that I might break the generational curses of the men in my family and start a new bloodline that is purified by God. God didn't stack the deck against me. God removed all the crap from my life that was preventing me from being who I was supposed to be and living the life I was supposed to live. And I just had to get out of my own stubborn way to realize it and step into that role of accountability and leadership in my family. Your past does not have to define your future. The way it's always been in your family does not have to be the future of your family. My I am statement was now like in the eyes of God, I am a good man. I am strong enough. Um, I will be a good husband. I will be a good father. So that I might be the king who God purposely created me to be, you have to give yourself some grace. The things that happen to you are not your fault, but you are responsible for the choices that you make. And following God is a choice. Living with God is a choice. And when you step up and you take that accountability, you take the power back. Your life is now back in your hands and you're doing it with God. You're gonna have to dig in and figure it out for yourself. Nobody can figure it out for you. Who is God? What would your life look like if you began to image him? Truthfully, man, once you realize the power that your choices have and the importance of your relationship with God, it's like those two things together, your life is on a whole new trajectory. And I couldn't be more excited. Sorry for the essay. I just felt like sharing. Your message hit me like a freight train. Yeah, honor Jake. It takes guts to, to share your story. Um, and at the very beginning of that video, like when Jake started sharing his story, he said that his two biggest fears are that he's not gonna be a good husband and he's not gonna be a good father. But just like Noah, Jake has to decide, am I gonna let those fears dictate my life? He has to make that decision. What I mean is that if Jake mostly fears or has respect for the potential power of his earthly fathers in his life, then that apple is not going to fall far from the tree because he's going to get obsessed, right? Obsessed over that fear of like, I'm just going to be my, like, just like my dad, or I'm going to turn out to be just like my stepdad. And that fear is going to rot Jake from the inside out. But instead, just like Noah, Jake is choosing to fear or respect God more. And just like Noah, Jake was surrounded by men who were going to drag him down, like into this generational pattern of alcohol and abuse and absentee fatherhood. But just like Noah, even though it grieved God and filled his heart with pain, God lovingly stripped those relationships away from Jake. And then just like Noah, God also said to Jake, like, come and follow me. Right? Like, come and follow my detailed instructions for life. Like, come build a boat with me. Like, come build the kind of life where you can take refuge from the fear of turning out just like your dad or just like your stepdad. Jake is building a boat. There's this awesome verse in the, in the New Testament that references Noah, and it goes like this. It says, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. And what's crazy is that you could replace the name Noah, and then suddenly that verse becomes the story that God is writing through Jake's life. And the story goes like this. By faith, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, Jake built his life around Jesus, and it saved his family. See, one of my, my favorite parts about Jake's story is that he's not married yet. 
and he doesn't have kids yet. Jake is operating out of wisdom. Jake is looking ahead into the future, and Jake is listening to the warning signs that God has displayed through Jake's earthly fathers, and Jake is obeying God's detailed instructions for what a good man looks like. Like, Jake is preparing for things not yet seen. He doesn't have his own family yet, but that's not gonna stop Jake from preparing now. Jake is building a boat, and it is a boat designed to shelter his future family from the kinds of storms that Jake was forced to grow up in. And so Jake, if you're listening, man, like you're going to end up breaking generational curses and patterns like you will. And if you keep leaning into Jesus, like your fears of being a bad husband and, and a bad father will begin to fade, not because those fears stopped being scary, but instead because you now have a greater fear and respect for the power of God's grace in your life. Like Jake, in holy fear, keep building your life around Jesus. Screw what everyone else says. Build that boat. It's going to save your family. I don't know if Jake's here again. He was at the, the last service. I got to share this with you because Jake and I were hanging out and talking after this. And I was thinking to myself, like, there's going to be people in this room right now that you just feel like this all sounds good for other people, like preparing ahead and all that stuff. But it's too late for me. Right. The storm already hit my life. My life has already shipwrecked. And Jake and I were talking about that uh, at the last service. And Jake said, he says, I thought this was gold. He should just probably become a pastor. Uh, Jake was saying, like, there's this whole part of his story that he didn't get time to share. He goes, I hit rock bottom. He goes, I definitely hit rock bottom. He goes, the thing about rock bottom, though, is that it's not a dead end. He goes, rock bottom, you can either choose to just stay there or you can start moving and get to work. And when you start moving and get to work, the only way to go is up. If you think that your, your life is too far gone and that you've train wrecked everything, dude, the power of God's grace in your life is powerful enough to pull you out of rock bottom. See, listen, the, the, the truth is that that's the story that, that God wrote in Noah's life. It's the story that God wrote in Jake's life. But the truth is that God wants to write the same story in your life. He does. He wants your story to go like this. By faith. When warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, I built my life around Jesus and it saved my family. God wants to do that in your life. And he wants to do that in your life because God is in the business of creating a remnant for himself. A remnant. Right? A remnant is a very strange word, but it's all over the Bible. A remnant is God's chosen set-aside people. Right, so the remnant is the collection of people who are crazy enough to not only listen to God, but also obey him, even if we haven't yet seen the destruction that he's warned about, or even if we haven't yet seen the blessing that he's promised us. So for example, through Noah, God set aside a remnant that would carry on humanity. And then you read through the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the story of the nation of Israel. And you learn that the nation of Israel was a remnant of people that God set aside who would carry on the story of God's love for human beings. And then in the book of Romans in the New Testament, we're told that so too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace, which means God is still setting aside a remnant of people like us who are going to carry on the story of Jesus's grace. The remnant is the group of people who are following God's instructions for a better life. We're, we're not just sitting in here and listening to God's instructions. Instead, we're getting to work based on those instructions. We are building boats. Why? Because we fear God. 
which means we have respect for him. Like we respect the power of the storms that he promised we would suffer if we don't start constructing our lives around them. And so we're building boats. And just like Noah, we're trying to put our people, like our our family and our friends into these boats. Why? Because we don't want them to have to suffer storms that are avoidable. And because we want our friends and our family and our kids and our grandkids and our great grandkids to be a part of God's remnant. By God's grace, he chose Jake to be a remnant, a chosen, set-aside man plucked out of the Hoffman family tree who will put an end to generational suffering and teach his future kids that the fear of God is a fountain of life. Jake is building a boat. By God's grace, he chose me to be a part of his remnant, like this set-aside chosen man to lead my family in the fear and respect of God and then to teach that here to you. Like, I'm building a boat. And then there's others of us who he chose us to be a part of his remnant, like chosen, set-aside people who are gonna carry on the story of Jesus' grace to the next generation and the next generation and the next. But then there's others of us out here, especially those of us we've been listening to this faith series, but we've been too scared to do anything about it. If that's you, God is ready and willing to choose you to be a part of his remnant. And he wants you to play a part in his story. And he wants you to play a part in the rescue and the refuge of your friends and your family. And so he is commanding you to come and build a boat with him. But he is not gonna force you into doing that. Instead, he is waiting for you to choose which fear are you going to respect the most? Are you going to fear the potential consequences of stepping into a life of faith, or are you going to fear and respect God regardless of the consequences? And that ball is in your court. I'm just here to encourage you, come and build a boat with us. Like, come and respect and listen to God's warnings when he says, hey, that way of living your life is going to blow up in your face. And then come and respect and obey God's detailed instructions for a better week or a better life. Like, lean in every single time you're here at Flatirons, not not just to learn something new and interesting about God, but to obey him. Like to take his blueprint for a better life and you take that back home and you unroll it on your your dining room table with your family and you get your saw and you get your hammer and you start building a better life together. Get to work. Come build a boat with us. Why? Because we want to be a part of God's remnant. His chosen set aside people. We want to play a part in his story. We want to play a part in rescuing our friends and our family from the winds and waves and storms that can be avoided and to shepherd them into the safety and refuge of a new and better life that we are building with God. It's like the truth is you are going to fear and respect something. So why not fear and respect the God who says that he loves you and that he's good and that he wants good for you Why not respect him and respect his power and heed his warnings and obey his instructions? Why not come build a boat with us? Let's pray. God, first of all, I'm just thankful. I'm thankful for all the people in this room and and all the people at all of our different campuses and and for for the men down in Lyman Correctional Facility, anyone listening online, God, like I thank you for, for everyone who's here today. God, God, we're ready. We're ready to start building a boat with you, to start constructing our life around your detailed instructions for a better way to live. Like, we're ready to do that, God. Would you give us the courage to do it? And God, we're we're tired. We're tired of making excuses. 
and we're tired of procrastinating and, and we're tired of living out of all these other fears that we're respecting the power of. God, we wanna respect your power. We wanna build a boat with you. And God, we wanna do that, not just selfishly, like, but to be a part of your remnant. Like, we wanna construct and build this better life that we can invite our friends and our family into that we can, we can place our, our spouses into and our girlfriends and our boyfriends, this, this safety, this life of refuge that we can usher our sweet kids into and their kids and their kids. God, help us to build a boat with you. God, we're about to sing this song that, that is, it's just a prayer, basically, and it's a prayer for the remnant, the set-aside chosen people. So God, before we, we sing this song together and basically pray this to you together, I wanna pray it over us right now. So God, may you show favor upon us. God, please show favor upon us and, and not just us, but like a thousand generations. God, show favor upon our families and, and our children and their children and their children. And God, may your presence go before us and go behind us and go beside us. And God, would your presence be all around us? And, and God, would your presence be within us? And God, would you help us to start heeding your warnings and then obeying your, obeying your instructions for a better life only because we believe that you are with us and we believe that you are for us. And it's in your holy name that I pray, amen.